coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. The thing that started us all off is this verse here in 2 Chronicles 8, verse 1. We're going Old Testament. I know you're excited about that. 2 Chronicles 8, verse 1. At the end of 20 years in which Solomon built the house, had built the house of the Lord at his own house. Now, you notice that there's like a comma there, not a period, and this doesn't seem to be a complete thought, but it was this simple verse that started me on this whole journey uh, that the Lord was leading me on. And and what I find so interesting about this is that Solomon uh, was tasked with building the temple. David really, 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 really wanted to build the temple. And, uh, and God said, yeah, it's not for you to do. It's for your son to do. And when we, when we read Chronicles, we have to understand that Chronicles is kind of like uh, a glossed over history book. You don't always get all the details. There's these retrospective moments. And so right here, there's this retrospective moment where they're kind of recalling uh, the reign and this time period in Solomon's life. And he was known for two things. He was building, he was known over a 20 year span for building the house of the Lord and for building his own house. Now, oftentimes, if, especially if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, you end up defaulting to one uh, or the other things, or you kind of switch back and forth. You set your life, and you set your pattern of your life, your direction, and you say, hey, I'm going to be the person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my own house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard. I'm going to work extra hours. I'm going to build a business. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my own house. And we do this often at the sacrifice of everything else. Now, on the equal and opposite side of the spectrum, we find somebody who says, listen, I am going to commit my entire life to building the house of the Lord. In our modern vernacular context, that's the church. We're going we're gonna to just put everything here. We're going to invest time, energy, money, everything. Everything is going to come to build the house of the Lord. And that seems noble and it seems healthy, but we do it at the cost of everything else. And we find ourselves sometimes sacrificing things that God himself never asked us to sacrifice. And so there's this tension here. So am I supposed to build my own life and then this will follow? Or do I do this and this will follow? And I don't think any of that's true. For if the, the, the really idea here is that if we take the lead from Solomon and if there's a retrospective done on our lives, that we would, I hope that I could and I hope that you would become a person who is known for building both the house of the Lord and my own house that I believe God's got a template or a plan that we can do both things together. Is it a tension? Yes. Are there times where you got to slip to one side or the other? Yeah, it's a season. Seasons happen, seasons change. But I believe that if we would build the house of the Lord and our build our own lives, and if we would do them simultaneously, that both will be better. The house of the Lord will be stronger, and your house will be stronger when you build them together. So there must be some kind of plan, right? There's got to be, there's got to be, if only there was a book that would guide us on this process, that would be absolutely incredible. So anyone start, I I asked this this week, I'm just hoping somebody else, anyone start a Bible reading plan that takes you all the way back to Genesis? Anyone start one of those? We have, you started after in in guilt and conviction uh, from last week. So every time, see, I always use, uh, I use like the hard copy, like uh, Bible in a year, Bibles, and I always, every time I get on the bandwagon at day one, it takes me back to Genesis, 
So that means about seven times in a year I come back to Genesis because I fall off the bandwagon and then I come back to Genesis. So here we are in Genesis and the Lord gives us kind of this plan. Sorry, Matt, I'm going to throw you for a loop. Can we start at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, reading the first three verses and then we'll jump to 15. Genesis 2, we'll read 1 to 3 and then go over. I'll use this hard copy because that's what we have it here for. Am I right? It's like, hey, why don't you just read that thing? (laughs) He's just covering his bases. Genesis 2, verse 1. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. (laughs) All right, I'm going to take a break for five minutes and come back. Thus the heavens and, and and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of the men on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his, that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his, that he had done in creation. We'll jump ahead to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, so he made him, he formed him, he created him. The Lord man, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. And to keep it. Often, sometimes we think that, that work is just kind of like this necessary evil that has to get done in our lives. Uh, that we have to go to work and that the only thing that's, that's getting in the way of us being who we are created to be or doing what we're supposed to do is work. But what's interesting here is that work happened in paradise. Nobody else thinks that awesome. I think it's amazing. The work happened in paradise. Responsibility was a key part of paradise. This is before any apples or mangoes or passion fruits, whatever. This is before Adam and Eve eat any fruit. This is before the fall. This is before anything. God said, hey, it's, it's not good for you to be alone, but it's also good for you to get out of the house and get to work. It's interesting that, that this whole story, our whole Christian narrative, our origin story is God rolling up his sleeves and going to work which is different than most other major religions. Most other major religions start with this like power struggle and God establishing himself. God doesn't need to establish himself. God has no rival. His, our story, which is his story, begins with him as a master craftsman rolling up his sleeve and going to do work. Now that original word, work, that we just kept repeating over and over and over again in the Hebrew actually just means ordinary human kind of work. God rolled up his sleeves and went to work as if he was to say, hey, I'm going to establish a template or a pattern for you to follow. That work is not a bad thing. That you don't need to hide from work. We think work's a bad idea. This is just a little recap from last week. That work is a bad idea because, you know, it keeps you away from doing all the important things. That's not a God idea. That's a Greek idea. That idea came from the Greeks. That the higher, the higher you were in society, the less you had to work, that those who were below you did not have the mental capacity uh, to ponder and think of the deep things of life. They would work to sustain you. So the higher you were in society, the less work you had to do, the lower you were, the more of a grunt you were. And we've actually carried those values through until today, whether we like to believe it or not. If you want to get more into that, we can listen back to last week. But God puts out this plan. He said, listen, it's important for you to work. Now, for the purpose of our series and for our conversation over the next five weeks, 
it's important to understand that work does not just mean you going to your job. Because some of us don't have a job that we get paid for. If you're a stay-at-home mom, let me tell you, you got a 24-hour job. The hardest job on earth that pays the no money. <laughs> it, it just puts you in the hole. Like, <laughs> staying at home puts you in the hole. Uh, it doesn't matter. What we're talking about when we talk about work is this idea that God's given each and every one of us this by his grace, a gift, a talent, an ability, this thing that we're supposed to do with our lives. For some of us, that's vocational. For others of us, it's recreational. For still others of us, it's kind of this side hustle that we got going on. It happens in all ways, shapes, or forms, not only tied to your vocation. Anyone have terrible summer jobs here? Anyone? Anyone? Just, what are your, what were your terrible summer jobs? Just give me some jobs. Come on. Just yell them out. What was your summer job? Golf course. That was bad? Okay, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's high standards, yeah. Anyway, Trina, what was yours? P- pack straws? That's a. I thought that was robots. I. Okay, anyone else? Terrible summer jobs. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop moment. I think we'll probably stop right there. I. I mean, summer jobs are the worst. I had this. Uh, you want to pass me that coffee there? Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to. Turkey baster? Um, I worked for Dow one summer, and. Uh, I worked in a tool crib, and the only job that they had for me for two months was to clean the tool crib. Tool crib is a place where all the tools are uh, kept for special projects, and they just come and get what they need and take it back. So that was my job, clean, clean the tools and clean the tool crib. Uh, t- two months long, uh, well, actually, three and a half, no, f- almost four months because I was Bible college. So it was like, here, whole summer, just clean this tool crib. Well, within the first three weeks, I cleaned it three and a half times. <laughs> and run out of work, so they moved me to another site, and at the other site, the guy was about to go on vacation, so he didn't know what I should do, but you can't keep this young, strapping uh, lad, handsome, by the way, uh, you can't keep him not working, and so uh, they had these uh, large, kind of heavy, I don't even know what they were for, parts, and I literally, for a week, every single day, he'd be like, hey, do you want to take those parts, clean them up, sort them, and then move them over here? And I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Day one, clean them, get them, mark them up, get them inventory, move them over here. Day two, show up. Hey, why don't you take those parts, clean them, inventory them, and then just move them over here? And I was like, so I literally moved the same parts, and it takes you about two hours to do this. Every day for eight hours for a week, and then I found myself as if I was channeling the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 saying, everything is meaningless. Everything, everything in my life is pointless, completely meaningless. I mean, you might have discovered these kind of moments. The truth is, some of us might be at a job or in a place right now where you're sitting at your desk or standing or whatever it is you do or wherever it is you do it, standing there going, everything is, is meaningless. I'm in a cycle. This isn't benefiting me. This isn't benefiting society. I'm not growing as a human being. Other people aren't growing. I'm just here perpetuating a system. 
You might sound oftentimes when you come home from work much like the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Like, listen, this is, this is pointless. I'm stuck on a hamster wheel. There's many of us, we, we all fall in, in different categories. There's some of us in this room that are, are here and you're doing what you want. You know, you're like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm right here. I'm doing what I want. There's other of us in here that we're, we're doing what we have to. We're doing what we have to. You know, food does not put itself on the table. So we're doing what we have to. There's, there's still someone, some others of us that are saying, I'm doing what somebody else told me I had to do. Somebody else told me it was a good idea for me to go into finance. So I'm doing what somebody told me to do. Maybe there's still other of us that we don't have a clue <laughs> what we're supposed to do. And so we find ourselves, no matter what category we're in, we find ourselves at times going, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. I'm wondering, does anyone in here, do you have that, do you have that thing? Or do you know what that thing is? This is what I'm talking about. That thing that you go, man, this, when I do this, I come alive. You know, when I do this, I feel like amazing. When I do this, this I must be intended to do this because when I find this thing or when I do that, that is when I am person. Do you ever find yourself in that thought, in this like obsessive cycle thinking, man, I'm not alive unless I do this. I'm, I'm, I'm fading away. I'm nothing. I have to do this thing. And we find ourselves ultimately asking this question, why would God make me this way with this gift if he didn't want me to do it? Right? It's like, how come I have to be in this meaningless cycle of moving things from here to here to here to here, literally back to here, over here, back to here? Why do I have to do that? He made me this way. Your gift or your grace's highest purpose is to serve God. That's what that, that obsessive thing, that's what its purpose is, is to serve God. There's no higher calling on your gift or your grace or your purpose. And when I say grace, it's because some translations call it the grace of God that's a gift, and some call it a gift, so I'm just going to call it a gift and a grace. Because it's something that God gifted and grace to you. You have a grace to do in your life, which means it's just, you know, it, this is the best way to explain a grace on your life. There's just some things that are really easy for you to do that is really hard for everybody else to do. And you don't understand why it's a hard thing for somebody else to do it. I'll give you an example. My dad has a grace on his life to fix things and fix cars. Now, he developed that grace. He knew that he had an aptitude. He worked on it. He developed it. He got good at it. He, developed, he didn't leave it undeveloped. He got really good at it. Can I tell you, I do not have that grace on my life. I walk out there, might as well be in Chinese and Japanese in, in a combination of the two because I can't do it. I can't figure it out. I do not have that grace on my life. Now, that does not mean that I should not try. It just means that I'm not naturally inclined that way, and I'm also not supernaturally inclined that way because sometimes we think of these very, very physical things, these graces, these gifts, as just, like, as just like a very natural thing. But if we really understand that we were created by a supernatural God and that we came to life and found our existence through his very breath, then nothing that we do is just physical. Everything that we do is spiritual and supernatural. So even the most mundane or normal things, and if you've got a grace on it, if it's easy for you in your life, if you can just do it, that's a very supernatural thing. 
the smallest of things. You say, well, I don't really feel like me being a neat freak and cleaning everything obsessively all the time is a gift from God. Let me tell you, there's a number of people who could use your miraculous intervention. It is a gift from God. It's a grace on your life. But here's what happens. It's very easy for us to slip into this idea where instead of us serving God with our gift, we begin to serve our gift. It becomes our master. That grace becomes our master. Well, if I'm not doing this, I'm not alive. And if I'm not alive, why am I even living? Everything is meaningless. If I can't do it, then I'm just not even. Okay, bad attitude. But we begin to just serve the master that is our gift. If, my, if there's not an opportunity, then I'm going to walk out that door because that opportunity is everything and it defines me. The gift shifts from something uh, that serves God. It shifts from being a tool that is, allows us to serve God, and it turns into the master of our identity and the master of our mind. And ultimately, it leads to us having a restless soul because we're restless because our plans and purposes and destinations and destinies are differently aligned than God's for us. And so you find yourself stuck, upset, angry, disappointed because my gift isn't allowing me to live. Interesting. Here was God's original plan. He creates man, and this is important, makes him in his image. The image of God was a team, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three were present at creation. The, the Spirit was brooding above the formless and voidless expanse. When God spoke, Colossians 1 tells us that, that Jesus is, is the visible image of an invisible God, that everything was created through Jesus. So that when God rolled up his sleeves and went to work, it wasn't a one-man show of God showing up. He said, okay, we've got the Holy Spirit over here, and he's doing his thing. I'm going to talk to Jesus, and Jesus is actually my master builder, my master craftsman. It's, it's through Jesus that this is all happening. So when the original plan was, hey, I'm going to create man in my own image, which means I'm creating man to be on my team. We're going to be a team together. We're going to build lives together. We're going to build your life. We're going to build my house. We're going to build your house. We're going to build everything everything together. That was our plan, the original plan. The original plan was partnership. Not, hey, you do your thing and you try and impress the God of the universe with the gifts that he gave you. Here's the funny thing about that. When, when we're like, hey, God, look, I've got this beautiful gift that you gave me and I'm going to give it to you as a great gift of my life. As a dove, apparently. <laughs> Maybe you're an uh, illusionist. <laughs> you know, rabbit out of the hat. I don't know. God, look at how great my gift is. Isn't this beautiful? I've made it for you. As much, I think his response is kind of like my response when my four-year-old comes up with a beautiful picture that he's created. It's like, what is it? That's nice. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing about trying to use your gift to find worth is that God knows what you're capable of. So when you bring that gift to him, and you're like, look at how wonderful and amazing you are. He's like, hey, guess how much better I created you to be? There's more in you. Why are you so satisfied with where you are right now? 
I made you for more than just this thing. Is it incredible that you're pursuing, taking all of your life energy to pursue this one thing when I made you for so much more? See, sometimes we think, man, we get so myopic on, on, on fulfilling our dreams, our visions, and ideas when God says, I've got more for you. Did you know that, that the, or part of the original plan, which, doesn't, which didn't just end with partnership, but part of his original plan was peace, you know, the lion and the lamb laying down with one another, which is found in many illustrations on grandparents' homes all across this country. You're like, why is there a lion and a lamb laying there? It's just a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Okay. It's representing peace or shalom. The Hebrew word is shalom. When you get into the Hebrew word shalom, it actually means universal flourishing. So it doesn't just mean that there's going to be peace in our time, like peace in the Middle East. It doesn't just doesn't mean that. It means literally the universal flourishing of man. God created us for partnership for the universal flourishing. It ties back into Genesis 128 when it says uh, that, that we are created to, multi, you know, multiply, fill this earth, and to fill and subdue it, which means that you have dominion over it. Part of that whole thing was, hey, why don't you build societies? Why don't you build civilizations? Here's this beautiful, complete thing that I'm giving to you, but it's full of untapped potential. Now let's make something beautiful together. Let's work for the universal flourishing of everything, which means that no matter what your job is, no matter what your task is, no matter what your gift, your talent, or your ability is, you can be fulfilling one of the highest calls of God, which is towards human flourishing. Last week we talked about the idea of our daily bread. What is it that we're actually praying for when we're praying for our daily bread? Martin Luther kind of unpacked this. And when we're praying for our daily bread, we're not just praying for a miracle bread. (laughs) We're praying for the baker. We're praying for the farmer, the people who are threshing that grain. We're praying for the packaging people at Robin Hood Flower. We're praying for the graphic designer who's making a better packaging that's going to want to make me buy more of it. We're praying for the Save on Foods person who's stocking the shelves or superstore Walmart, wherever you buy your groceries. You're paying for the supervisor of that person that would allow them to redesign the shelving so that I could find it easier. You're, you're, you're praying for the grocery store manager who would find this young student who's coming in who really excels at baking and is going to help propel their career forward so that when I go buy my loaf of bread, it's the greatest piece of bread that I've ever eaten in my life. When we pray for our daily bread, what are we praying for? We're praying for universal human flourishing. We're praying for people to succeed. We're praying for people to do well. We're praying for people to find themselves. We're praying for each and every one of us to understand that we're a part of providing somebody else's daily bread, no matter the field, no matter the industry, no matter the vocation. You're doing something great. The question is, are you doing it in partnership with God or are you doing it to get some work out of it? See, that obsessive thing that you think about all the time that we call your grace or your gift, I'm going to call it it. And it becomes a way to distinguish ourselves from our neighbor. To show the world and to prove to myself that I'm special. That's why we obsess over it. It is a way to accumulate power and security and to exercise control over my own destiny. I've discovered my thing, and world, watch out, here I come. This is what Dr. Timothy Keller says. 
One of the reasons work is both fruitless and pointless is the powerful inclination of the human heart to make work. The main basis of one's meaning and identity. When this happens, work is no longer a way to create and bring out the wonders of the created order, as Calvin would say, or be an, or be an instrument of God's providence, serving the basic needs of our neighbor, as Luther would say. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4 kind of puts it this way. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. So the question is, what's that thing? Is it serving you, which is serving God, or are you serving it? And what's your motivation for developing it? What's the fuel that you're putting on the fire? We either get our name, our defining essence, our security, our worth, and our uniqueness from what God has for us and in us, or we make a name through what we can do for ourselves. So where do we find our identity? Where do we find our identity? This is, Mar this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Anyone ready for a little MLK? Not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. I mean, MLK for the win, am I right? So when we're looking at building our lives and our house and building the house of the Lord, we find ourselves in this dichotomy, this secular versus sacred. And so for some of us, what we've actually done is we've abandoned the streets for the steeple. We said, hey, I'm really good at these, these few things. I'm going to give everything I have, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it into the church. But the only way that I can find fulfillment or that I can find uh, happiness or I can find uh, grace is if I find vocational fulfillment in the church, meaning the church is going to pay me to do this one thing. And if I come over here and if I find that and if I find this one thing, then I'm going to be completely satisfied in my life because I'm accomplishing the wills and the purposes that God has for me in my life. But the real question that we have to ask ourselves is not, is this the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? What we should be asking ourselves is, has maybe God placed me right where I am for a reason? See, in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 20, it says this. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. This is the portion of scripture when the Apostle Paul is addressing people who are getting saved and, and they're already married, they've already got families started, and they go, should we just quit our jobs and just follow God? Because God's called me, like he's, he's called me, he's called me into this brand new life. We're just going to quit everything and do nothing and just serve God. Well, that sounds awesome. Until you realize it just leaves you with nothing. Leaves you broke. And leaves you pulling out of the very places that God called you out of and sent you right back to. 
See, we think that when God calls us, he calls us always out of something. God calls us out of darkness and into light, but then he says, but now, because you're there, we just turn the light on. Is it possible, is it possible that one of the highest callings, if you want to phrase it that way, is passionately following Jesus, building my life as a partnership with him, doing my thing well to serve him, working well wherever I am, staying in my place, and at times making a change when it makes sense. But I'm doing that with a purpose. What is that purpose? It's if we continue that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know that one of your fundamental jobs, best role, the highest calling that you could have is literally pulling heaven into this earth? That you represent a rift and a portal of heaven coming to earth. He said, that sounds really science fiction-y. Cool. Whatever works for you. You are pulling heaven into this earth. Yeah, but I serve at Wendy's. Great. Pull heaven to earth at Wendy's. No, it's, I'm, not, I'm not joking. Pull heaven to earth at Wendy's. Oh, but I work in an office job where everything is meaningless for a, a nameless, faceless corporation that I'm not even happy with. Well, kill it in that position and understand that you're strategically placed maybe to bring light and hope to those who are around you who are feeling that they're also in a meaningless existence. Maybe your meaningless existence and your understanding that you no longer have to live a meaningless life is inspiration to those who are also stuck and you are turning light bulbs on every single where you go. Why? Because you're pulling heaven to earth. That's why I love the song that they sang before a message. On my touching heaven with my knees hit the ground. I wonder if we could all find some peace if we understood that no matter where we were in our lives, that God has a great plan and a destiny for us. That where you are is not a mistake. Last week I said, Your place has a purpose. Your place has a purpose place is a purpose. Today we're talking about how do we begin to extrapolate the kingdom of God out of my place? How do we begin to stake our claim, put a flag in the ground and say, listen, I'm going to occupy this space. I'm going to occupy this territory. I'm going to occupy these streets with the light and with the goodness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to kill it at this job. I'm going to do the best that I can possibly do because I'm not doing it for my boss. I'm doing like the Apostle Paul says, and I'm working unto the Lord, which is a terrible, it's a terrible thought, because it means that I have to do well all the time. <laughs> it means I can't just slack off because I think my boss is a jerk, because it's not about my boss. It's about working for the Lord, and if I work for the Lord, I'm working in partnership with Him, and if I'm working in a partnership with Him, then I know that this is all a part of the plan, and if I'm in partnership with, with Him, and I'm working on a plan that even when I'm doing meaningless tasks, I'm fulfilling the purposes and the plan of God in this life. Did you know that God is working in and through you right now? The question is, am I opening up the valve and letting the light burst through? You've been listening to The Engaged Life, powered by Engaged City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.